Uh, if you, they often talk about the weather as if that's some sort of severe suffering. You know, oh, have you seen the weather? Isn't it? It's just rain. Okay. But the thing that really makes me suffer, and I don't know if it's just me, but something that really makes me suffer is passwords, online passwords. Is it just me? But there is something terrible about having to log on to, I don't know, it's your gas or your bank. And which one is it? I don't know. I can't remember. And then this kind of, is it just me? No, it's really quite frustrating, uh, online passwords. Um, and then also queues and getting stuck in traffic is quite another one. Now, just, just the other day, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this, this guy here looks a bit like the lead singer of Coldplay. I think it looks like Chris Martin. So I'm going to tell you my, my Coldplay story. So um, just because I went to Coldplay about two weeks ago uh, with my daughter. It was great fun. And uh, it's the second time I've been to Wembley to a concert. And the first time I went, we got stuck in massive queues. So after the concert finishes and, if, and you come out, everybody's spilling out. And they send you down this corridor. And it's literally just everybody's crawling. So you, you're just like when are we going to get home? And the horses are there with the police and they're blocking you off and it's queued. So I thought, I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to go another way. So in Wembley, you've got two tubes, okay? I'm, not, I'm going to give it away now, but to, this is my plan, to avoid the suffering of the original uh, exit. And uh, I thought, right, well, I'll go, I'd rather go to Wembley Park. I'll go to Wembley Central. It's just a little bit further to walk. And I talked with some guys at work and they said, yeah, that's a good idea. So me, feeling rather smug, said, right, we'll go the other way. And uh, all was fine. After the concert, brilliant concert, and we're walking back, and we're ahead of the crowds. You know, we got out straight away, and, and we got back. I thought, straight in, no problem. Then we got on the train, and uh, we, we went along fine, and then suddenly the train stopped. Okay, so this is about 11 o'clock at night. The train stopped, and it stayed stationary for half an hour, and this then people are getting on and off, and the conductor goes, unfortunately, there's flooding on the line. And you're like, no, you can't, you know. And anyway, so we're, we're delayed by maybe 40 minutes, something like that, and then we end up missing the connections. We're going to Clapham Junction. So I would have got back sort of 1 o'clock-ish. We're getting back at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I had a conference call at 7.30 the next morning. So I had woke up. And it, in this conference call, I don't normally have to speak, but uh, <laughs> that, that particular day, they said I had to say something. So I then had to try and think on my feet. It was just, it was just a, it was, this is suffering, okay? Online passwords, <laughs> cues. But in all seriousness, uh, there is real suffering uh, in and the Bible has a lot to say about suffering. And I guess that's what I find encouraging about this, is that the Bible doesn't ignore the issue. It deals with it head on, and particularly in the book of Job. And so we're going to look at this book together. And just by way of introduction, I thought I would give you a modern-day version of Job, because uh, um, we've had a few weeks on this. So I just thought I'd try and bring it to life a bit. So this is my imagining Job now, right? Bear with me. So I'm calling Job James Oliver Brown. Job for short, okay? And uh, Job is, uh, or James if you like, he's, he's really successful. So he is 
on the Sunday Times rich list. He's on the Forbes rich list. His business has got a social media business called bookface.com. Took me a long time to think that. <laughs> and, uh, so he's hugely wealthy and successful, and he's, and, uh, he's got wonderful marriage, children. Everything's going well for him. And then what you hear in the story of Job is this, and it, you get a whisper of what happens in the spiritual realm, and there's an accusing voice. Well, God's saying, have you seen James Oliver Brown, Job? He's, he's just such, he was a devoted man to God. He was prayerful. It says he was continuously praying, continuously walking with God. And uh, he says, well, doesn't he just do that because all these good things are happening for him? And the accusing voice says, isn't he just following you because everything's going well for him? What happens if that all goes away? And once that accusation has been made, there's no other way to prove that J- James Oliver Brown is a sincere believer than for, uh, for those things to be taken away. And in this mysterious way, James Job, I'm going to call him Job now, doesn't realize uh, what's going on in the spiritual realm, but suddenly everything goes wrong. So the social media book face crashes. It's, think of the t- disaster. They, they lose all the personal data of their followers. All the photos have gone. It's all wiped overnight. The backups got wiped. Everything collapses. People move onto another social media website. I can't remember the name of it now. And um, uh, that didn't work. <laughs> but just imagine, everything goes wrong for this guy. His family, uh, his children are sadly killed in a tragic accident. And there he is. Uh, just everything has gone. Everything is... What he thought was going to be just carrying on forever, suddenly everything's taken away and he's stripped of everything. And then his friends come and they start, initially they're just there to hang out and try and be comfort to him. But then James, Job starts to say, well, this just doesn't seem fair. You know, I was doing the right thing and yet all this bad stuff started to happen. Everything's going wrong. And his friends start saying, well, Perhaps it's because you were cutting corners. You weren't righteous. You were doing things wrong. God's, you know, and they start criticizing him. He has to bear with this for chapter after chapter. And then finally, at the end of the book of Job, God turns up and he meets with God. And it's an amazing account because God, although his advisors have been, all his friends have been saying, well, God's this and that, God doesn't, he just says, no, you're wrong. It's not that straightforward. There's a mystery in the world. There's a mystery about suffering. And I'll come in and unpack that in a minute. But there are, we're going to look at these verses. So if we flick on, Job 42, verses 1 to 6. So all of this has happened. God's spoken to Job, and he's had an amazing encounter with God. And then he replies this. He says, I know that you can do all things, that no purpose of yours can be thwarted or stopped you asked who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know you said listen now and I will speak I will question you and you shall answer me my ears had heard of you but now my eyes have seen you therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes so there are three things this morning I want to look at in this well, what is going on with this story? It's a very strange story, if you like. 
of what God does. So there's three points we're going to, if you want to the next slide, three points we're going to look at uh, just briefly. There's a question of suffering, the questions from God, because there's this whole section where God speaks to Job. We're going to look at that. And then the question of encounter. So the question of suffering then. So you see in that verse, Job says, I spoke of things I did not understand. So he was, Job for chapter after chapter, if you've not read the book, he's just saying, well, why God? Why? See on our PowerPoint, this is the big question. Why is this happening? Why is everything going wrong? It just seems so unfair. Life seems unfair. Uh, That's what his cry is. And then he meets with God and he's saying this, I don't understand. Something, some things I just didn't understand, I didn't get it. And uh, I want to say this, the issue of suffering in the Bible is a complex one. It's not a straightforward, easy answer. There aren't straightforward, easy answers to the issue of suffering. So this is really what his friends were doing. His friends were saying things like, well, it's straightforward. You do good stuff, good stuff happens. You do bad stuff, bad stuff happens. You could call it karma, if you like. So it's just a straightforward, direct equation. Do good stuff, good stuff happens. Bad stuff, bad stuff happens. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. It says it's much more complicated than that. And uh, so Job, when God turns up and speaks to these friends who've basically been telling Job that's the equation, do good stuff, good stuff happens. Do bad stuff, bad stuff happens. Then... God says directly to these friends, you have not spoken of me what is right. And actually Christians still do the same thing. We still make sometimes very direct links between suffering and God and just say, well, it must be this and that. Direct links. You know, when a disaster happens, there's often some crazy Christian somewhere saying, well, that's God's judgment. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. That's misrepresenting God. And that's what Job tells us here, that what you have said is not right. It's not this direct link. And Jesus had the same issue. So um, in John chapter 9, they're walking along, Jesus and his disciples, and uh, the disciples see a blind man, a man who's been born blind. And they go, Jesus, who, who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? And what does Jesus say? Neither. He says, you can't make this direct link. It's not that straightforward. It's more complicated than that. And uh, so innocent suffering is a complicated issue. I don't know, but that's what the book of Job is all about, this kind of mystery of why certain things seem to happen. And you, he, actually, Job doesn't get a direct answer to his why. What he gets is an encounter with God that changes his perspective completely. But I want you to realize that Job is actually a very righteous man. In the Bible, in Ezekiel, it says this. about uh, It talks about if there were three men who existed in this place, then this place would be saved. It's a, a prophecy of a potential judgment on a place. And it said, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they would only save themselves by their righteousness. So Job is like top three. And if you... Noah, Daniel, Job. These, so Job is a righteous man. God says this is nothing to do with his good behavior or bad behavior. It's not to, not to do with his bad behavior. So he's had good, 
godly behavior. He's one of the top three in the Old Testament, Job, and yet all of this happens to him. So you can't make this direct link. Am I, you following me? But it's good to, so we're, when we're coming close to Job, as we have been over these weeks, we're coming close to somebody who's, who's a righteous man, a godly man, and it's good to rub shoulders with godly people. It's good to have them impact you. And I have just, just got a little story that uh, sticks with me about the book of Job. So I, um, when I was growing up, I knew this guy called uh, Steve Timbrell. I don't know why I need to look at my notes for that. But, <laughs> but Steve, um, he was a larger-than-life character in my church I grew up in. Really uh, gregarious guy, full of life. And, but sadly, his wife died in, child, in, in the birth of the second child, okay? Um, so he had one child, and the second child, his wife died. Which was a, and I remember the impact on, on my family, because we were friends of the family. I remember my, some of my family just going up into their rooms and just being alone with God, just praying. And that had an impact on me. Where do you turn when things go, when disaster hits? But anyway, Steve... Um, I remember going in a car. We used to, used to play cricket together. Um, and this would be a year or so later. I was in the car with Steve. And he was a large life character. And I was just saying to him, as teenagers do, don't know any better, just probing questions. And I was just saying, well, how have you coped? How have you coped with what happened? And something he said to me, it was really stuck in my mind. He said, the only thing that's got me through is the book of Job. He said, there's lots of people trying to trying to um, give comfort and advice. He says, the book of Job is the thing that's got me through. And that's really stuck with me, that here's a man who lost, uh, had a serious tragedy in his life, and yet he found comfort in God in this mystery that is in the book of Job. Because Job doesn't get all the answers, and Steve didn't get all the answers. Now, I've not had the answers to some of my questions about why things have happened. But you can find and meet with God and that's the, it's an amazing thing. And uh, he actually sadly died of cancer a few years ago. And I was just reading, it's, just, it's online somewhere, I just Googled him, as you do. And uh, he was, became a head teacher of a secondary school. And there were so many amazing comments about his faith and his vibrancy. And uh, the Bishop of Warwick apparently said, he has a luminous Christian faith. This guy, despite all the suffering, was alive with God. And... That's, that's the answer that Job is given, that you can know God in the midst of suffering. But suffering is one of the most difficult issues. So I don't know if you want to turn on to the next slide. So Stephen Fry, you may have seen the video of this. Stephen Fry said this, Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? I don't know if you've seen the video. He gets quite angry about it all, because it is difficult to answer. It does put people off. It's one of, on the Alpha course, they have seven questions that are most common objections to why should I be a Christian? Why should I follow God? And one of the number one is the issue of suffering. But this is interesting. If we turn on to the next slide, this is exactly the same issue that C.S. Lewis had. So I found this um, a quote in Mere Christianity. And uh, so... C.S. Lewis was an atheist for a large part of his life. He didn't want to know God. He wasn't interested. It just seemed not for him. In fact, he, was, he, was, he talks about being the most reluctant convert in all of England. <laughs> he really didn't want to follow God. But anyway, he says this. 
If a good God made the world, why has it gone wrong? And for many years, I simply refused to listen to the Christian answers to this question because I kept on feeling whatever you say and however clever your arguments are isn't much simpler just as, and easier to say that the world was not made by an intelligent power. Aren't all your arguments simply a complicated attempt to avoid the obvious? But then that threw me back into another difficulty. And the difficulty, it throws him back in. It's quite complicated. If you want to read the book, it's called Mere Christianity. But he realizes that his big issue about suffering is that he feels that life should be just. There should be justice. There should be right and wrong in this world. There is a right and wrong. And he said, well, where did that come from? Where did I get that consciousness of right and wrong? It's actually, um, suffering is a problem for the atheist as much as it is for Christians. Why is there, why do we get angry at wickedness and evil? What is, wickedness and evil provoke something in us because we are created, the Bible says, in the image of God. So there's a, a right and wrong in each one of us. We feel a conscience. Things, some things are good, some things are bad. And this dilemma that Lewis had, ultimately, he said, ultimately, atheism's too simple. Actually, the world is much more complicated than just this simple, um, or just forget about it. And he, he, he did become a believer, and he was a very happy believer, and uh, it wasn't as bad as he thought it was going to be. <laughs> I'll put it like that. So we have to be careful in how we answer this question of suffering. And the answer is, the Bible does give answers all the way through, actually. But the answer is, in a, is a framework of what the Bible says. The Bible says the world has gone wrong. It's exactly what it says. It says that we have gone wrong, that we turned our back on God. We rejected him. And as a consequence, the whole world is wrong. There's problems in the world because of the rebellion of mankind. And that it's almost like we're, it talks about the world is groaning and aching. In Romans, it's, it's out of place, it's out of kilter with God. And, but God has made a way that we can reconnect with him. So actually there's a, a, a rescue plan in the world. That is what Jesus has come to do. He's come to restore what went wrong. So all the pain and suffering, the heartache. You see, what, what's Job's... Why is he so upset? It's because he feels like he's lost contact with God. That's his biggest problem, is that he's just not in contact with God. And he feels like everything's gone wrong. And then the answer is that he meets with God. He realizes that God is real, that he really does change people's lives. As we saw some of the testimonies this morning, God actually does turn up and do stuff in our lives if we ask him. And uh, so God has made a way... Uh, to restore the problems in the world. But it is, a, it is not, I just want to say the first point is the question of suffering is not an easy one, okay? It's not easy answers, but there is answers in, in God and in the Bible. And the, the world Jesus was in, he's, he talked about wars, rumors of wars. It's, these things are in there. It's not like they, it, they're not ignored. Suffering is sadly part of our world, but we can know God in it. Deuteronomy 29. 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us. And what they're saying is, God is ultimately in control of the whole world. But that doesn't mean we understand it all. There are secret things, mysteries. So Paul talks about, 
when we talk, talking about the, um, teaching the church, he says we need to teach the whole counsel of God. And he talks about there's such a thing as righteousness and sowing and reaping. So you can sow a life that is rebelling against God and you'll reap something negative. Or you can sow a life that's rich towards God and you'll reap something positive. So there is this idea of um, positive and negative in terms of how we live our lives. So it's generally true. But then he also talks about suffering, trials, mysteries. So it's not that there isn't a reward for righteousness and a punishment for wickedness, but there is, there's also this dimension of mystery. So I, that's what I'm trying to talk about. There's this mystery of why do things happen. It just doesn't seem right. And that is the question of suffering. The question's from God then. So if we move on, the question's from God. Uh, and what Job says here, if we go to these two verses, so the next slide, he says, Who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? I will question you and you will answer me. And uh, those are two questions that God has just said to Job in the previous two chapters. So he does this, I mean, if you've not read it, it's quite remarkable. God speaks to Job. And he just, so Job's been there, you know, moaning at God, effectively saying, well, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And God says, who's this? That, you know, and he says, brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you will answer me. And you think, oh my goodness. <laughs> and that is that he talks about, the, here's the voice of God speaking to him personally. And like, okay, you want to play, you want to you talk to me? I'm going to talk to you now, Job, and answer some questions. And it's quite a dramatic uh, account of God putting Job on the spot. So I don't know if you've got the next picture. It reminds me of, like, Job is invited onto the mastermind chair. And uh, God's like, okay, Job, you've got some questions. I've got some questions for you. Come onto the chair, would you? And, you, and the light comes down. And Job's like, okay. And you feel like he's a bit like the headmaster's office type of experience. Like, right, I'm in for it now. And uh, there's literally one question after another. And it's interesting that whilst God doesn't give answers directly to Job, these questions help answer his problem. They start him to think. They expand his mind. Questions that obviously had stuck with him. So he's, he, these questions that kind of went, oh, wow, you've said this to me. And it, it had made an impact on him. And so he, he couldn't, he was, that's what, the answers are in the questions. Does that make sense? The way he questions Job is the way Job gets his answers. So God says, well, let's talk about stuff, shall we? And he goes through things like this. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Did you make this stuff? And you can just see, pass. <laughs> you know. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? That's a pass. I mean, if you ever watch Mastermind, it is, it's, you're looking for that one question you can get right. You know. Who let the wild donkeys go free? I think I know this one. <laughs> you know. Uh, who untied his right? It's like, what is that all about? You know, it's a very mysterious passage. Who endowed the heart with wisdom or gave understanding to the mind? Where did your ability to think and question come from? God made that. Your mind and ability to think came from God. The breath in your mouth is from God. Did you give the horse strength? Did you, does the hawk take flight at your wisdom? Does the eagle soar at your command? Uh, that's a pass. Uh, do you have an arm like God's? 
Can your voice thunder like his? Uh, no. And you get this sort of picture of God saying, like an arm wrestle. I don't know if you've ever arm wrestled somebody who is much stronger than you are. And you just realize this is not going to work. Well, that's kind of the idea. Is that God's saying, well, this is, I'm, I'm much bigger than you realize. I'm much greater than you realize. And um, my brother is a bit like that. He's not as strong as God, but he, you, know, you can't make his arm move. <laughs> you, know, he's just, you just know, this is a, I'm not going to win this battle. And that's kind of the picture here. And then God moves on to what is his specialist subject, which is the Leviathan and the behemoth. I think, what is this about? But it's, he's talking about these large creatures that are overpowering in their presence. It's just like if you came across one, you wouldn't want to hang around. You'd be a bit overwhelmed. And uh, well, I think we've got time. There was a little clip. This is, uh, this is against advice. So I'm going to show you a clip because one of the, uh, one of the um, creatures is... That is potentially the hip, hippo. And I was like, the hippo doesn't seem scary enough to me. Okay? When I read this, the passage in the Old Testament, it just seems like these, the behemoth and the leviathan are scary creatures that you wouldn't want to meet. I think hippo, he seems pretty friendly. It doesn't seem scary enough. Check this clip out and uh, see what you think. If, you wanna, if you're listening online, just Google largest hippo ever. Okay? <laughs> so... And I think this gives the feel of what Job was getting. Wait for it. Okay, that's pretty scary. <laughs> okay, that, they, they get away and it's, everything's fine. But you, you get the point. God talks about all these creatures and he's saying... They're not in your control, Job. You're not able to control even like the birds or you can't tame them. It's basically saying, God's saying, I'm in control of everything. I made that stuff and I'm in control. And you may not understand the mysteries and complexities of life, but I am in control. And this, these are the questions that Job, it starts to make sense to Job. He starts to understand that God is greater than he realized. That's what happens through these questions. Actually, God is bigger than I realized. And the universe is another thing. He starts asking, you know, if, you've, if you struggle to believe in God, have you thought about the universe and just how amazing and vast the universe is? The Bible says God made that stuff, that he is the creator of the universe. And uh, a guy called Spurgeon, we can, a guy called Spurgeon used to say, he used to recommend his preachers, Bible preachers, to study astronomy because he said nothing like it will expand the mind when you start to think about it. It helps to think about God when you think about the vastness of the universe because it's like, wow, God is that vast. He made everything. Everything came into a being through a creator. It's not by random chance. It's not an explosion that brought order. It's not order out of chaos. It's a there is an intelligent, creative being that has made everything. And we are accountable to God because he's made us. And that's what really Job realizes, that God is really in control. And 
he's greater than he thought he was, but also he's overwhelmed, and this is what you don't necessarily get this, he's overwhelmed that God is on his case. You see, the thing is, you think, well, it's, it seems a bit aggressive, isn't it? There are all these questions, questions, questions. But actually, God's wanting to speak to Job. Job matters to God. And actually, when he talks in this passage we're looking at, he is amazed that God wants to speak to him. That despite the suffering, he stops complaining about the the tough stuff because it's like, wow, God's really here. God wants to speak to me. And he's amazed that God wants this relationship with Job. So if we come on to the final thing then, the question of encounter. And I guess this is really just my final point because this is all interesting theory. But the question is, have you personally encountered God? Because often people say, well, maybe you saw this morning these guys came baptized. Well, it's nice for them, but it's not for me. I couldn't, it's, uh, you know, I'd love to have your faith, but I just don't have it. As if, like, faith is something that just sort of happens to you by random accident. It's not like that at all. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's experiential. You have to make a step. You have to say, I'm going to try God. I'm going to seek God. So Jesus says this, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. He says this, that everyone who asks receives. So that includes you. Everyone who asks receives. So it's not just people who are currently believers. It's not people who grew up in Christian homes. As David's testimony is an example, it's not about you know, what your parents did or didn't do. It's you. You can receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The, everyone includes you. And that is the gospel message. So Peter, uh, we heard about it earlier, Peter came face to face with Jesus one day. And he, he realized that Jesus was greater than he thought he was. Jesus does a miracle in front of him. And he's like, oh. And his response is, go away from me, I'm a sinful man. And that response is actually quite common. It's actually, I don't, wanna, I don't want you, God, because I know there's stuff in my life that would displease you. I know I've done stuff wrong. I'm not worthy. I'm not really, I'm not that. But God is patient. Jesus is patient with Peter, and he loves him. And he builds him up and restores him. And then a few years later, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, as we heard earlier, stood up in front of 3,000 people, over 3,000 people, saying, Jesus is the answer. He is the answer to your problems. All the questions you have in life ultimately make sense when you put Jesus, make Jesus Lord of your life. It makes sense to you. And that, that was my experience. Is I, when I, I prayed when I was quite young, and I remember thinking, well, I'm not sure if this is true. I was, you know, a bit of a... I'm just not sure it's true. And so I decided one morning on my own, I said, well, Jesus... If you're there, which is not exactly what you call a faith-filled prayer, come into my life. And as I prayed that prayer, 
I experienced God coming into my life. And I went, oh, it's real. <laughs> and I then tried to force my brother. So I went down the, down the hallway and said, Tim, you've got to try this thing. You've got to try this thing. And you may be here and you may not be a believer and you think, these Christians, they seem all very keen that I should try this thing. But like it says in here, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you know something's good, you want people to experience it for themselves. You want them to realize it's not a joke. It's not a joke. This is real. It makes a difference to your life. It changes you from the inside out. It does you good. God is good and he does you good. Okay, but you have to see it for yourself. There's another picture. If we just skip on. So I went out to, excuse the bold head, but I went out to uh, Nepal a few years ago and uh, we went to the Himalayas and there was cloud all week long for the whole week and we couldn't see anything. But people said, behind there is mountains. And you go, yeah, sure. You say there's mountains, I can't see mountains. <laughs> and uh, then on the last morning, the clouds cleared, went, ah. And we just stood there, that's me, uh, Neil and Chris, if you can't recognize them from their back. And we just stood there in absolute silence because it was amazing. And that's the experience of Job in this passage. He, God speaks to him personally. And Job's like, wow, you're real. I've heard about you, but now I see you. That's the experience I'm talking about, is that you yourself... See, it's, I, that photo doesn't do it any justice at all of what it was really like. And all my words this morning don't really do it any justice at all. Until you've tried Jesus Christ as personal saviour, you do not know how good it is. Until you've made that step. And so I would encourage you, seek God for yourself. So if you're not sure about things, ask questions, find out, read books, learn, be open to God. Jesus will speak to you. And the other thing I wanted to say is there may be people here who are going through suffering right now. And, um, you know, we've had this, all this series on Job, and there are, there are some very uh, troubling circumstances in, in the nations and also personally. People go through really difficult things. But the Bible says this, that God is the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble. And so you can experience God's comfort today, his strength in your heart. And the Bible in James refers to Job and says, think about Job, remember him, think about Job's perseverance and see what the Lord finally brought about. See, Job actually ends up being a good news story at the end. God turns up for Job. Job gets blessed and suddenly that trial period is over. And so ultimately the Bible says that God works all things together for good. It doesn't mean all things are good. Some things are awful. But God in it can be with you and help you through it. So I wanted to just encourage you, if that's you and your experience, and if it's not your experience yet, it will be at some point in your life. You will have dark moments where the question of suffering comes. But know this, God can be with you in it. And God cares more than you realize.
That was Job's experience. God cared more than he realized, and God cares for you. So I trust that helps you as we look at this issue. Okay. I'm just going to close in prayer. And then maybe there are some people here today who just feel like, you know what? I'd like to give that a go. I'd like to make Jesus my Lord. I'm just going to read you a prayer. This is in the back of the, an Alpha book called Why Jesus. So you can, if you want to go through this on your own time, you can. But I'm just going to read this prayer, and you might want to pray this in your heart. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now ask for that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Lord, I do pray for any here and not believers, and I pray you would come to them this morning and encourage them. And I pray for those who are struggling with real suffering. I pray you would be a comfort to them by your Holy Spirit. I pray you just move amongst us for your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, if we have the band back up, now maybe that's touched a nerve for some people here today. And uh, we have a prayer team is available at the end, which would be very welcome to pray with anybody who feels like, you know what, I need God. That was Job's heart cry, I need God. And if that's you today, you can encounter him. Don't put it off. Seek God.